Welcome back to another episode of Anyways Back to the Godfather. It's our annual Cinemonth recap. By annual, I mean the second time we've done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the third time we've done Cinemonth. That's true. And this one was the first time not being together, and we both had full-time jobs. So, well done us, as a certain Lord Grantham might say. Um, first of all, just... At the top, we want to say that we are still in desperate need of guests. So if you want to come back on the podcast, if you have ideas for things you want to talk about, go ahead and get in contact with us or email us. Um, We can get that process started. But in that same vein, we have a very special announcement. So let me pull up what I call the Arthur spiel that I wrote out. Calling all Arthur fans. So due to the nature of life slash recording logistics, it will be very difficult to gather all the guests that want to do a singular Arthur episode that we talked about um, when we did our uh, episode with Sarah on PBS Kids shows. Um, And besides, there's so much to talk about within the Arthurverse that we might as well have several episodes dedicated to such. So we've identified topics and need co-hosts to step up and help us with our Arthur series. Now, this will not disrupt our normal flow. Uh, Depending on availability, we'll likely have our normal monthly episode and then switch between a normal guest episode and one of our Arthur series episodes. Um, If this sounds like something that will interest you, please email us at abttg95 at gmail.com with the subject line capital A Arthur. There's going to be a bunch of topics on there. You're going to go and tell us which ones you'd be most interested in. Um, If you have lots of Arthur opinions, not very many Arthur opinions. Um, We also will have um, opportunities for you to email in your thoughts, even if you're not hosting the specific episode. It's going to be lots of fun. I'm excited. So yes, if you consider yourself to be somewhat of an Arthur fan, please go over and fill out that email for us. Um, And then A quick reminder to stay tuned at the end of this episode. We're going to be recapping January's film club, which was fantastic, Mr. Fox. (laughs) And I will be announcing our February movie. So very exciting. Stay tuned to the end. And now on to the main show. On with the show. (laughs) On with the show. So. Oh no, tell me what it is from. Lauren. Oh, is that P.T. Flea? It's not P.T. Flea, but it's the right movie. Oh, it's on with the show! Stickman. Yes, Stickman. What I call him that. So, this is our third annual as uh, Cinemonth. A reminder, we watch 14 films in January. We both pick seven genres. We usually have treats. This year, logistically, did not want to do that, but we stated which would be the treat. <laughs> Well, and one we day watching. we will be eating them. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, but we did stay faithful to recreating the posters. So I think you'll probably post those to Instagram. Oh yeah. Okay. So stay tuned for that. They for are now, beauty, beauty to behold. <laughs> they really are. Some of them are fantastic. Up there with Butch <laughs> Cassidy. We're gonna have we're gonna give you a spoiler-free recap for each film. We'll talk about why we picked it, give our 
five star ratings and tell you if we would recommend it or not. I also think we should read our letterbox reviews because they gave me quite a <laughs> chuckle. So I'll have those pulled up. <laughs> okay. So the first one we watched was animation category and it was The Iron Giant, which is directed by Brad Bird, who's a big man in the Pixar world. Um, he directed Incredibles as well. Um, is that why you wanted to watch it? I think so. But yeah, Rachel... So I was going to choose another Miyazaki movie, but I made Rachel choose some of the ones I wanted to watch <laughs> for her choices. Technically, the ones that were her choices. I was she surprised. Me, I know. She told me she wanted to watch Iron Giant. And I was like, no, I'm going to choose this Miyazaki movie. And then I was like, okay, I do want to watch Iron Giant again. I had seen it before when I was really little, like probably when it came out in 1999. And I just watched, rewatched The Incredibles recently. And I wanted to honor Brad Bird. <laughs> a young boy befriends a giant robot from outer space that a paranoid government agency wants to destroy. It has some serious ET vibes. Actually, I can't even remember what I said in my letterbox review, but you said like trance ET oh, meets King Kong. <laughs> yeah, so it felt like ET and King Kong and Transformers, where he makes this alien friend, and then the alien friend is an enemy to society. That's the King Kong part, where the government's <laughs> just trying to kill him because he's he didn't really make a mess, I guess, but. Anyways, they think he's scary, so they don't want him to exist. Yeah, there's like some Cold War vibes going down. I gave it three stars. You gave it three and a half. I think I gave it three and a half because of the nostalgia. My mom told me that she, I told her I was watching it, and she's like, oh, I've never seen it. And she told me that I had gone with my dad to see it, just me mm -hmm. and him. So there's a little nostalgia there, and we had always quote the main. Well, I don't know if it's the main quote, but there's one quote that he would always say to me, which is, I am not a gun. <laughs> That's when I told my dad I was watching that. He's, he quoted that. That was amazing. And I thought the animation was good, and it's a sweet story. Incredibles is, like, one million times better. But Yeah. They, like, it's fun to see, like, Brad Bird's influences, or at least how... Iron Giant influences a lot of his other films. It is a little predictable. I, like I said, I would recommend it for people generally, especially if they like animated films. It did make me cry. I knew it would. Like I saw the <laughs> end coming and it still made me cry, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. Just want to say a couple trivias. First of all, the giant is voiced by Vin Diesel. <laughs> That's right. And when I told Rachel that, she sent me 30 skulls. <laughs> I I counted them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you said something about family, too. Yeah, I me. said, guess who voices the giant? Family. <laughs> um, Brad Bird wrote it as a tribute to his sister, who died by gun violence at the hand of her husband. Oh, no. And so it was the idea of a gun that has a soul and doesn't want to be a gun. Sad. But I thought that was really, that's a cool thing to know going into it. Yeah. It does have 
the Zeta Project vibes. Did you ever watch that? Have you ever heard of that? It's like no. a WB kids show that especially Elizabeth loved and it's pretty great. It's this robot that was trained for combat, but I will not destroy anymore. And he's like on the run from the government. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> oh, wow. When, what year was that? Oh, man. It's got to be early 2000s. But So they copied the Iron Giant. Probably. Oh, man. Cool. Zeta Project. What a great show. Oh, and I also would like to award handsome man of the movie to Dean. <laughs> <laughs> which ties in great to my letterbox review, which is Dean of all trades. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving right along to number two, which was the category was rewatch. This was my pick. I chose the Grand Budapest Hotel, which if you've been paying attention is most beloved by Lauren and myself. Oh, we forgot to say what the Iron Giant's treat was. Oh, um, the treat for Iron Giant is metal. <laughs> because that's, that's what he's eating. That's the only, like, truly inedible thing that we picked. I'm sure you would have found some <laughs> sort of replacement, but... We could probably find something that looks like metal. Yeah. But yeah, he's just constantly eating metal all the time, and I thought that would be a good treat. <laughs> so for the Grand Budapest Hotel, I would get pastries of some kind, because those play a very important role in the film. The recap for this, Monsieur Gustave and his lobby boy experience well, different things just one. based on the wacky question of rightful inheritance, essentially. Yeah. But it puts them in a lot of interesting situations, I guess I should say. Yeah, their quest related to the inheritance uh, creates many adventures. Yes. So I picked it because we watched it last year and loved it. It made both of our top 10 lists. And it was my number one. Yeah, that's right. And just felt like one that would be fun to rewatch. I gave it four and a half stars. I don't I feel like I should rattle it up to five at this point. I love it so much. It's so funny. It's got all of our favorite people. And I think on this rewatch, it was like I could pay attention to a lot of the wordy jokes. Like I think before I was just trying to pay attention to the the plot, and this time I could like really focus on the dialogue. <laughs> and catch all the funny verbal plays going on. Everybody does such a good job at it. How many stars did you give it? Five. See? I always I gave it five the first time. Ugh. Instant love. I don't know what's holding me back. As far as recommending it, I do recommend it. However, there's some language and painting nudity. I think that's there might be some old lady. Some sexual content. Yeah. Uh, mostly in the form of a paint, that's like the one that disturbs me the most is the painting. Yeah, I don't know about disturb is the right word, but the most jarring, the most is- shocking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the rest is really subtle. Yeah, really. So that's the only hold back. But other than that, it's so fantastic. Our <laughs> letterbox reviews. Mine was mush gents, <laughs> and yours is it's you. Thank you, thank you, you sweet kind man. Mr. Gustav, also meet Wes Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Those are both quotes. Yes. By the one and only Rafe. It actually, it won four Oscars. It won Best Costume Design, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Original Score, and Best Production Design. Mm. And then it was nominated for quite a few more, including Best Picture. Oh. And Best Director. Well, this last time we watched, my favorite scene was 
Joplin, Willem Dafoe stalking the lawyer, oh. Jeff Goldblum. I just think it was perfect. Like, first when he sees the motorcycle, like, on the bus, reflected on the bus. Yes, so fun. And then just the whole, all of the cinematography where they're, like, trying to hide and, like, going through the museum. And, oh, I just thought it was beautiful. For number three in the comedy genre, I chose Bringing Up Baby. This one has Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. One of the good old golden age comedies. Cary Grant's character is trying to raise money for his museum because he's like a paleontologist or something. Mm-hmm. And somehow Catherine Hepburn keeps appearing and getting into his, or keeps meddling with his plans. It has some serious What About Bob vibes, if you've seen that, where it's just like, no matter what Cary Grant does, Catherine Hepburn messes it up. And it's, at first I was like, I'm going to hate this movie because I don't <laughs> like What About Bob for that reason, that like nothing goes right for him. But I started to love it and laugh and it didn't, it did get pretty chaotic, but but I enjoyed the chaos for the most part. Yeah, this is one that is really fun. I love both of the actors. Like I love Cary Grant, obviously, but we've been starting to get more into Captain Hepburn's films. I feel like she's not been on my radar before and I started to appreciate more. So it was fun to kind of see her in a slightly different role than what she is in the Philadelphia story, at least. And she's just like a lot more chaotic, like you were saying, but some kind of impressive stunts with animals and yeah, I gave this one three and a half stars. And if you're a Carrie fan or a Catherine Hepburn fan or want to be you can watch this film. I gave it four stars because it was really making me laugh. Like I was busting up laughing. <laughs> and I also am obsessed with Cary Grant in this movie. <laughs> like we watched, what's that? What's it? Arsenic and Old Lace. We mm-hmm. watched that last year. And I was like, I have never seen this version of Cary Grant before where he's like goofy. Mm-hmm. I've only seen him like in the Hitchcock movies and stuff where Swab he's and really handsome, like um, playboy man that everybody falls in love with. And in the Arsenic and Old Lace, he's like a goofball. Mm-hmm. And this is even before Arsenic and Old Lace. And he's like totally wacko. Like, <laughs> he's so crazy in this and it's so fun to see him in this totally like derpy nerdy role that's funny and then Catherine Hepburn's always like how about you don't wear your glasses you're so handsome with your glasses he just puts his glasses back on he's just and he's so cute like the nerdiness of it and the awkwardness he's so cute I just loved him and that's why I, it was hard for me at first. So I was like, Catherine, stop making this man sad. <laughs> not deserve your flack. Some of these I'm realizing because of the time difference. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember falling asleep in this one. <laughs> Just because I was so tired. <laughs> so some of these I might have to give another watch sometime. It was enjoyable. I, I didn't, I did like it. The treat was soup. Because at one point, or they're eating dinner, and Cary Grant gets up, and he comes back, and he says, my soup is gone. <laughs> and, like, the saddest voice. And they're like, yeah, you left, or something. But that was the only food that was mentioned by name. Or raw meat was the other choice, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> picked soup over that. <laughs> Our fourth movie is in the category of film noir, film noir. 
And I chose Scarface, the original from the 1930s, I want to mm-hmm. say. 1932. Nice. I have it written down. It wasn't off the top of my head. I was saying nice to myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have we talked about... Yeah, we watched Scarface for our original cinema. Yes, the, but we didn't talk about Al it on the podcast. One. Oh, wow. We didn't even recap our first cinema? Mm-mm. You just posted oh, okay. the pictures of it. Um, so we watched the Scarface from the 80s featuring Al Pacino. Say hello. Our first cinema. To my little friend. And yeah, it's about a mobster who like works his way up through the mob basically to become like the head honcho and um just kind of explores his fall or and it, it has a lot more to do with like drug trafficking. Yeah, this one was more about prohibition and alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's what the mob was kind of focused on in this um original one. Oh, and it was more like propaganda um on the part of Howard Hawks, I think was the director mm-hmm. about gang violence and um, how the government wasn't didn't seem to be doing anything about all the mafia and gang issues so he incorporated a lot of like real like the chicago the valentine's day massacre or something mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things so and it has a lot of gunfire <laughs> so much <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> so much gunfire and, like, especially for 1930s. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just shook. The 1930s. Like, none of it was horribly violent. Right. Because it is the 1930s, and we've seen much worse. But it still it was, like, especially after watching Bringing a Baby, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so many guns. Corrupted. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite things about watching this was seeing how closely the remake followed it mm-hmm. and all the connections to it, it made me appreciate that. Because I didn't super love the the yeah. 80s Scarface only because Al was in it is why I liked it. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the like subplot with his sister. But it also made me wish that Al was in the original. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when he smiles at her with her head on. Oh my <laughs> This also does have Boris Karloff, which oh yeah, your favorite play a a larger role. I gave it three stars. I think I gave it three and a half. If we're continuing with the half star above you, yep, three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. And I said I probably wouldn't recommend it just because I don't think most people would find it very enjoyable. Like I don't know that if I hadn't seen the other Scarface or like don't have uh, quite the interest in early films that I would like I think bringing up baby is a little bit more enjoyable for the average person well yeah especially for our listeners yes I think that they would like bringing up my bringing up my baby my baby (laughs) that's a different movie Um, to watch that I think that if you like gangster movies then this is a good one Mm -hmm. like there were a lot of things that I was like that's in the godfather or like yeah it's a good. That's similar to The Godfather. Sets a lot of precedents for the genre. Mm-hmm. The genre. So I would recommend it if you like The Godfather and if you like mob movies. It is and, a top ten um, American film gangster movie mm, in the okay. top ten top tens in the category of gangster. Um, and it was interesting. I'm remembering back because I did a bus tour in Chicago of the mob sites and 
they do pretty good homages to some of the stuff that actually happened and the different gangs and um, acts of violence that went down. So it's it's a good movie. I feel like I'm being pretty harsh on it, but your do you remember what you said the treat was? <laughs> Cigars. Yep. <laughs> it was. Yeah, the like pirouette cigars oh yeah our classic i'm pretty sure that was i'm pretty sure that was the treat for scarface for the other one (laughs) amazing yeah (laughs) so true to them true to its original yeah they kept the cigars in except it should have been crack cocaine (laughs) (laughs) could have just smoked smarties for that original scarface what a mistake All right, the next one was, this is kind of a new thing, mostly because our set, we had a set director and actor in the past, but this time, Lauren chose the actor and I had to pick the film, so she chose Marlon Brando. I picked Mutiny on the Bounty. It's from 1962. Um, I have written down that the treat is tainted cheese, (laughs) so (laughs) delightful. Um, As far as a recap, it's an historical event, and the name spells it out. It's the mutiny on the ship Bounty. Marlon Brando is, like, the first mate. Is that right? The first, I don't know, ship terms. <laughs> I never understood his role anyways. Yeah. He's not the captain. He doesn't get mutinied. The best part about it is that he plays this Englishman, and his accent is so bad. <laughs> I read on the IMDb that <laughs> when it came out in theaters, all the Americans just started laughing and Marlon Brando and he walked out of the theater because he's oh, so embarrassed. Poor Marlon. <laughs> His voice is in another register. Like it's everything about it, whenever he spoke, it was so delightful. I picked it because we have gone through quite a few of his films. Like, there's not that many left that are of note. We watched the documentary about him, I think last year. And it was, mm-hmm. like, used a lot in that and seemed pretty crucial for his life. So it was one that we've been meaning to watch for a while. Uh, it's really long. I think that's my biggest complaint. So I only gave it two and a half stars just because it felt really long. And it was an impressive film with how they shot it, I think. Mm-hmm. Some of it's a little bit uncomfortable in, like, the Polynesian scenes. <laughs> but the dancing scene is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a classic three-hour 60s epic. But it made me sad. And especially yeah. made me sad because so many plants died. <laughs> so many innocent plants. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I do... I gave it three stars. I think because I wanted to give it a little bit extra for like the big shots of the ship that made me look oh wow I felt really excited about seeing the big and like the sunsets and stuff and it also like you do feel outraged at how mean this guy is and yeah my letterboxd review is my favorite quote I believe I did what honor dictated and that belief sustains me except for a slight desire to be dead which I'm sure will pass That is literally what Marlon Brando says. I think about that quote sometimes. I just wanted to mention Marlon Brando's outfits. Okay. I said it's so fabulous. If Marlon doesn't greet me in heaven wearing that sleeping outfit, will it even be worth it? He like opens the door at one point and just has the sleeping cap and like this huge red silk robe. And it's so unexpected. 
and just hilarious and wow he really did have some fabulous outfits well even just the very beginning when he walks onto the boat it's like this man is so fabulous he's got this <laughs> cape blowing in the wind and his hat and then he opens his mouth <laughs> yeah then you're like Poof. it's the best it's so good but and he's so marlin like there's just it's so fun to watch him and be like oh, that was a veto face scratch and uh the next one oh wait wait sorry i just oh, wanted yes. to remind you of my favorite text from you that said sex montage was not on my cinnamon bingo card <laughs> <laughs> not unless dinosaur was on the list <laughs> That was one of the best quotes of cinnamon. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. (laughs) For the next movie, uh, Rachel picked the director, and I had to choose the movie based on that. And the director is Alfred Hitchcock, and so I chose Spellbound. Um, The reason I chose it is because it is a Best Picture nominee, and... Um, it's one of the Hitchcocks that neither of us had seen, since we're trying to watch all of the Hitchcocks eventually. So Spellbound is about, well, it has Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck. And Ingrid Bergman is a psychologist, and she works at, like, a psych house, a psych home. I don't know what they called it in those days. And then this new director, Gregory Peck, joins... And then this mystery begins. The treat was liverwurst sandwiches. Disgusting. Because at one point, I can't even remember why he, what he says. Like, oh, I brought our liverwurst sandwiches. <laughs> and she goes, liverwurst. <laughs> and she, like, is basically swooning at the thought of liverwurst. But only because she's so in love with Gregory. But who wouldn't be, honestly? True. I gave it three and a half stars. We're um, still on track. I only gave it three. Uh, yeah, these first ones are always a half star difference. I really thought there was some really cool camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one part where someone's drinking a glass of milk and then you like see through the half glass of milk. Like it's like you're drinking it. And then at one point there's a gun that looks like you're holding it and then it turns on you. Anyways, maybe that's yeah. a spoiler, but No, it was a uh, very ingenuitive camera work here. And there was one twist. I guess Rachel fell asleep during it. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one twist that I was like, "No!" and then he got me. And so Yeah, the was- next day Lauren was texting me about it and I was like, yeah, I think I slept through that part. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remember a knife. So then I, I went back and watched it, and it's good. So again, Spellbound is another one that I should probably watch at an earlier point in the day. <laughs> um, there is a lot of sexism, which made it a little bit hard to watch. Just like old ideas about women and I mean, it's also Ingrid Bergman is the psychologist, so she's breaking the norms and right. trying like, to... Right. Like, part of it is how it is in society, and part of it, I think, was, like, pointing a finger at it at the same time. Right. Um, but then there were some things about, like, marriage and... Yeah. Um, how Gregory treated her, or Gregory's character treated her, that I was like, this is not awesome. Right. But it was still fun. And Salvador Dali 
came in to work with Alfred Hitchcock. And That's so this right. Is their, where they came together. A collaboration. I forgot about that. Salvador. What a hero. Um, It's definitely not Hitchcock's best. Mm-hmm. But if Has you like him, I would Notable scenes. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's... And I think it's formative part of his journey as a filmmaker. So. For sure. And it is like different to have Gregory Peck be involved I think and Ingrid yeah they just don't strike me as Hitchcock actors you know he didn't right. use them again and again so you said why am I so attracted to evil Gregory oh yeah <laughs> and I said another quote that is I congratulate you and wish you have babies and not phobias <laughs> number seven is uh our my pick for documentary, which was I Knew It Was You. This is all about John Cazal. He plays Fredo from The Godfather. It was recommended by Ryan Hatch when we kind of were starting to get into our Godfather craze. So it had been on our list for a while. And John Cazal, he's was in like only five films and they were all nominated or won Best Picture, married to or in a very serious relationship with Meryl Streep. Um, anyway, just like an incredible actor. The only things he was in were just like kind of top of the line films. And then he died really young and it's kind of largely forgotten, I think. And so mostly just kind of exploring that. I gave it three and a half stars, mostly because it was so fun to see scenes from the films that at least I've seen him in. I know you've seen one more than I have. Um, But, like, it's so fun to see the different Godfather scenes and in conjunction with, like, Al Pacino talking about him and some of these other famous people, like, getting to talk about their experience working with him and how he transformed them as an actor and as a person. And, like, Meryl Streep was there, too, Um, looking at the deer hunter. And, yeah, it is – he's a very impressive actor and – I feel robbed of (laughs) more of his films. It's really sad that he died so young. I really enjoyed it for that. Other than that, I didn't actually love it as a documentary. Like, I felt like it was really weak in narrative form and, like, kind of with the larger point and just some of the, the, like, stylistic choices that the documentary made. I didn't love it for that. Like, if it had been a different subject, I don't think I would have liked it at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, by the end, I was kind of like, Hmm. What was the point of this documentary? <laughs> well, and it's only like 35 minutes long, too. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you're like, eh, by the end, it's like, that wasn't even hardly very long. Yeah. I gave it four stars, but I'm pretty sure I just loved it so much because of the people in it and all the Godfather clips and like Deer Hunter clips and yeah, all these movies that we've seen. I love seeing Al Pacino. <laughs> His crazy and then it hair. Randomly has Sam Rockwell, who I love, and Steve Buscemi. I have no idea why they're in it. <laughs> That's right, Steve Buscemi was in it. <laughs> like I don't think they even met John Cazale, but they were in it. 
<laughs> and is, isn't there a part in the credits where Steve Buscemi says something and they're like, they obviously wanted to include it but had no idea how, so they just yeah, like... Yeah, it's because it. Steve Buscemi was in a Simpsons episode that was based off of Dog Day Afternoon. That's right. And so he was like, I felt like I was acting with John Cazale. I'm like, you were animated into this <laughs> character's <laughs> world. Anyways, so I was like, yeah, that didn't make the cut, but they wanted to put it in there. They wanted to show why Steve Buscemi was somehow connected. Right. <laughs> um, in case you're wondering, it's it's because of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sam Rockwell, he like quotes the entire Deer Hunter, like this scene of the Deer Hunter. He quotes it <laughs> word for word, like action for action. And I think that's why they put him in there, because he's like number one fan of the Deer Hunter. <laughs> Because it's like the interviews were interesting and cool, and I feel like I learned a lot about John, but he just didn't do exactly what I love that good documentaries can do. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting and if Robert, someone else. Oh, Robert yeah, Robert De Niro's in it too. I just remember turning it on and just like screaming for the first five minutes because yes. I kept seeing things that I loved. <laughs> yes. And I tend to overrate things when I when there are people I love in it, so... For sure. No, it was really fun because we were like, you're like, we might need to watch this together in person <laughs> just because, so yeah, it's like our favorite Godfather 2 scenes and good parts from the deer hunter and stuff like that. So very fun. Although watching the scene from the deer hunter, I was like, we watched this on Angel, didn't we? Oh, that's <laughs> right. So many bad words that I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I don't think I actually told you this, but I put that the treat would be oranges because that just felt appropriate. Oh, rest in peace. (laughs) Okay, it is time for the sponsor story. This episode is sponsored by Mr. Cool. Oh! (laughs) Um, One time, I don't even remember what year this was and why we would have been driving to Provo from Salt Lake, but... We I, we were moving down together. We were going to... Oh, to, after a summer? Yeah. Like, I think you... But I never moved back. Right. You, for some reason, because I don't think you had a car, or you were leaving a car in Salt Lake, because I remember Deb and I were going down, but we were driving separately, and you came with me in my car. Oh, I must have gotten a ride with somebody to Salt Lake, so then I needed a ride back to Provo. Yeah. But we were driving back, and it, I think it was it was warm outside. It was probably the end of summertime. And uh, we're driving, listening to music, and I look over, and there's this man in a convertible with the top down, just driving, having a good time, and the first thought that comes to my head is, why isn't he wearing a helmet? <laughs> And I, I realized, like, oh, wait, you don't wear a helmet in a convertible? But I just associated, like, your head being out in the air on a moving vehicle, you need a helmet. I so just I, love that idea of, like, this guy in shades in a convertible with a helmet. Like. <laughs> so then I, said, I told Rachel that's what I thought, and she thought it was hilarious. And then... He got a little bit in front of us, and we saw his license plate said Mr. Cool on it. And we were like, this man is a hero. Mr. Cool driving his convertible around Salt Lake City. Um, And then he stuck with us for a good, like, 20 minutes. We were driving right next to him. And we'd, like, lose him for a second, and then he'd come back, and we'd be like, oh, Mr. Cool's back! (laughs) 
And then finally, he took the turn off to the prison. <laughs> Is that where we lost him? I forgot about that. You remember a lot it more was details. Like, yeah, I was impressed with him. I think it was near at Ikea or okay, like Draper, somewhere. One of those turnoffs is kind of by... Sad. Prison, we were hoping he was going to sh- be our new neighbor. I know we wanted him to come all the way to Provo with us. Wow. So, thank you, Mr. Cool. Mr. Cool, <laughs> too generous of you to sponsor an episode. <laughs> did, you, did you catch my quote there? Thank you, Mr. Cool. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Spell. Yeah, that's it. Hey, the next movie was in the category of thriller. I stole this one again because I didn't want Rachel to choose a spooky one. I shouldn't have started Cinemonth off with us. <laughs> I'll never yeah, get that horror film back. I will that horror never genre. let you show me another scary movie <laughs> of your choice. And so I chose Persona, which... I was actually a little bit nervous about because it is um, like on the IMDb trivia it has like some warnings about frightening scenes and stuff. Um, Not rated so that's another I was a little bit nervous because I was like oh I can't really because it's a Swedish movie I believe so it doesn't it's not in our rating system. Yes Ingmar Bergman. Mm-hmm. I chose it because it is in the top um, 150 of on IMDb, and it's been on my list for a really long time. And I didn't want to watch it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I thought Rachel would be interested in it, so I actually think That's it is on it. my one of my lists for my spooky series. Like it's a 1960s option. Oh, good. It's uh, on my spooky series. <laughs> I just made a little list of all the movies that would be considered spooky that I could watch during October, but oh, I didn't. Why? I love that. It's like all the ones on the IMDb list that are in the scary category. Not really scary, but... This is an aside, but I went on the Men in Black ride, and they had a poster of the thing inside the ride. And it made me really want to watch the thing again. So we might have to do that sometime. Okay. So it's a movie about two women. Um, One's an actress that she suddenly just stops talking. And the other one is a nurse that's kind of assigned to take care of her and be her companion. I don't know why. (laughs) She's like sent to the seaside to live in a cabin with her. I'm like, what kind of nurse are you? And she has a fiancé that she talks about all the time, but the fiancé is just like, oh yeah, go live in the cabin with that random patient. See you never. But, so that was a little weird to me as a nurse. Um, But it was surprisingly, like, in a not regular scary way, scary. Yes. Or at least spooky. Very unnerving. And and I was like, why am I scared right now? Like, nothing scary is happening. There's, I feel like there's a reference to this in The Office, which makes me wish that you'd seen it. But a character that comes in later seasons, Gabe, is obsessed with horror films and, like, shows 
a movie that he's made to the office during their Halloween party. And it's just like unpleasant, uncomfortable images of like, you know, like someone's hand getting cut open or like spiders or different things like that. And that is like, and he's like, people are confused about what's happening. And he's like, well, maybe the director knows that even narrative is comforting, which is like supposed to be this big joke, but I'm always like fascinating. I'm like, I am Gabe. <laughs> but I like, I feel like it's a reference to Persona because at the beginning and end, there's like, that's what it is. It's, it's just all like these shots of weird things. Of things that are like really gruesome and uncomfortable. And, and that have nothing to do with the story. Or yeah. Anything. Yeah. I felt like it was super over my head. Like this, I actually read that Citizen Kane and then Persona are like the two big filmmakers um, love movies. Interesting. And so if you don't like Citizen Kane, you won't like this. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you, my mom. <laughs> I gave it less stars than you this time. I think I gave it three and a half. Yeah, I gave it four. I gave it three and a half just because I didn't super get it but three and a half because it did succeed in making me creeped out and in a really cool way that I appreciated I mean I didn't love it but I don't know how to explain (laughs) it's cool it's worth a watch if you are trying to get through the important movies yeah I said that it was not recommended except for cinephiles yeah if you love film then definitely watch it. If you don't love film and you don't like movies that you don't understand, then don't watch it. Yeah. Like for me, I also didn't super understand it and it's just like fun to think about. And I don't know when I'll get back to it, but I think I want to try and watch it again sometime. I think it's my first Ingmar Bergman. I'd heard a lot about him as a filmmaker, but I'm excited to get more into, I think he's done stuff on color and stuff, but wow. A brilliant director. So I, I'm glad we watched it. Thanks for picking it. Does that make You're you welcome. feel better? <laughs> yes. Oh, and the, did you say the treat? I don't remember what the treat was. You I think it was something she had at the hospital, which was fried liver and fruit salad. <laughs> <laughs> Yummy. A lot of liver coming from your end. I don't appreciate. <laughs> hey, I heard it tastes like blood and that's like a vampire. Mm, maybe I'm interested. Um, okay, the next one is sci-fi, and I chose Planet of the Apes. This is one that I had seen for a film class, but Lauren had it, and I wanted to watch it with her as much as I can. Haha. <laughs> um, so it is about a man who goes to another planet in the future and discovers that apes are on top of like the food chain and the intellectual spectrum and that humans are on the bottom i really like this film like it's not the most incredible film but like it holds up it's engaging and every time i start watching it and the apes come i'm like these apes but then i'm totally hooked and like paying attention to what they're saying and like stop thinking about them as like people wearing ape masks and like believing that they are these apes i don't know i just think like it's really well done and Charlton Heston makes a good appearance and it's just such a cultural staple at this point that you have to know it and it's referenced so much. It's referenced in Arthur even, (laughs) whether you realize it or not, but 
I gave it four stars. What did you give it? I think I gave it three and a half again. We reversed our roles in the second <laughs> half of cinema where I, I consistently chose half star less than you. I was excited when you picked it because I had started noticing it being referenced all the time. Like, first of all, in Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, if any of you guys have seen that. Um, Trevor references it, and it's hilarious. Um, and then also in the X-File um, episodes I'd been watching recently, they kept talking about it. And so I was glad to finally check it off and say that I've watched it and understand all the references. It was fun to have watched it and be caught up in it. And then it is goofy and has been parodied so much, but it's a solid film. Like, I, I don't feel like it's a long movie. I'm not watching it and I'm like, oh, when is this going to be over? I don't know. It's a good one. Um, I did love they filmed the openings, not the opening scene, but when they land on the planet, they filmed it at Lake Powell. Mm-hmm. Confirmed that on IMDb, which is fun because I've never seen Lake Powell like on a movie before. Yeah. And then, oh, two trivia bits here. Marlon Brando was the second choice for Charlton Heston's role. Really? But they wanted Charlton Heston and he agreed. So he yeah. got the role. I think Marlon maybe would have ruined the film. <laughs> as much as I love Marlon, it's like a role that's destined for Charlton Heston. It would have made it a little even more goopy than it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> more dank. <laughs> yes. Like, I feel like Charlton Heston raises the stakes and believability because mm-hmm. of what he brings to the film. And then Ingrid Bergman, another um, connection here, regretted turning down the role of Dr. Zira, the... the oh, that would be scientist. really interesting. Yeah. Because huh. she... I forgot why it said it. Oh, she regretted not doing it because in that role, she wouldn't have had to rely on her beauty. Like, that was kind of her mm-hmm. main deal as an actress. Yeah. Because everyone thought she was so beautiful. And so, and that's why she turned it down. Mm-hmm. But as she, when she looked back, she was like, that would have been really transformative for me. And like, I would have been able to learn a lot to act without using my looks. Yeah. So that was interesting. But yes, I I do recommend it. How much you know about Planet of the Apes doesn't really matter. I think it's it's not super, super long, I don't think. Mm -mm. Um, I think it's two hours. It's like a normal movie. Worth a watch. The treat was coconuts and corn. (laughs) Yummy. Oh, the next one is also me. It was the silent film pick. I chose Modern Times, uh, which is, of course, the very famous Charlie Chaplin. I had seen that, uh, like, factory one scene so many times in different classes for different reasons. Um, but the rest of the film, I really hadn't experienced much. It's, of course, following the tramp. <laughs> I wrote, as my recap, the tramp experiences modern times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very descriptive. Very non-spoiler. Uh-huh. <laughs> but essentially it's him working in a factory and then dealing with, like, different riots and, I don't know, there's a girl who's an orphan. I feel like with The Tramp, there's not really a plot. It's more just following the tramp around. Yeah, it's kind of hard to sum up. But um, it was on our list for a while. It's Chaplin's 
uh, one of Chaplin's big films, so it was definitely one I've been meaning to get to. The treat was bananas, because the orphan child, the urchin, was, like, throwing them at some point, or just eating them, stealing them. She, yeah, she stole them, and then she was, like, throwing them out to everybody, like Oprah. <laughs> For, I don't feel like I'm raving about it, but I did give it four stars. I think mostly because it's very iconic. So just the, I think the commentary it does have on the busyness of modern life at, at his time in life and when it was created, which was 1936. So it's, it's like right before World War II, which is also really interesting. There's a lot, I think, if I watched this and like really paid attention to historically what is happening, I think it, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be I could write a lot of papers on this, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I'm sure lots of papers have been. Like yes. I alone can write the papers on this. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this. I gave it four and a half stars. I think this was my favorite one of Cinemonth. Um, really? I would not have guessed that. I loved bringing up Baby, but the chaos got kind of old. This one just felt wholesome the entire time. Like, and fresh and funny, and like, it, I didn't get sick of it. Um, maybe because it's shorter, but I was laughing out loud. I love the tramp, he's just so nice, so wholesome. The very beginning, the factory scene was kind of like a chaotic, like, no, you're ruining everything, stop. But after that, it was like, oh my gosh, so cute. Um, my favorite parts were the nonsense song what we were trying to figure out what language he was singing in and then later i realized i read something that was like he was singing in a made-up language (laughs) (laughs) we were like i was like is that french and she was like nope anyways um i was like maybe it's italian (laughs) (laughs) no i think i said i'm pretty sure it's italian (laughs) i think i agreed though so but well, I noticed like there were some some things that sounded French, but then something sounded Italian. But anyways, I guess he didn't want the tramp to sing in a language. He wanted him to sing this universal language that everybody, nobody and everybody could partake in. Interesting. So. And I should note here that it was mostly a silent film. And this is past when silent films were a thing, like Charlie Chaplin didn't think that talkies would stick around. He thought that the silent and the black and white would be much more important. But there is some like voiceover in the factory scenes and stuff, but it's still largely considered a silent film because it's not recorded on set. So just that. Um, And one of my favorite sound effects was there's one time when his stomach is gurgling and both of us both of us thought that it was our own stomachs. We like both texted. We were like, oh, I thought that was my stomach. <laughs> like, it was so funny. <laughs> Bravo on that sound mixing. Oh, and then the next day I was watching a GMM episode and one of their stomachs gurgled and I was like, my stomach. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> again. Phantom gurglings. <laughs> and my favorite, my other favorite part was when the man on the prison bus silent burped. (laughs) (laughs) I said I would recommend it to people just because I feel like it's a staple of early film. Yes, especially, well, I think it might be, I think I like this one better than um, City Lights. Mm. 
I think City Lights had more of a narrative, which I appreciated. Yeah. This one had a lot more, like, social commentary. Mm -hmm. But I just liked it for the, the comedy, the wholesomeness. Okay, the next movie was in the category of Best Picture or Best Picture Nomination. So I chose Sophie's Choice. Um, this one's been on our list forever because it has, it is on our movie poster mm-hmm. and we just always skipped it because we knew it was going to be rough and we know we, there was always something else that we would rather watch. So it would be at the top of our list and then we just keep moving things above it. <laughs> <laughs> so we never watched it, but finally I was like, we're going to watch it. It's about, <laughs> strangely, it's about this boy who moves to New York and wants to be a writer and moves into this boarding house and becomes friends with the couple that lives upstairs. Couple, which is Meryl Streep and Phoebus, but I mistakenly (laughs) believed was Clopin for the entire film. (laughs) For some reason, Rachel thought Phoebus meant Clopin when she looked up the cast. (laughs) I I think I was, like, looking at it so quickly that I, like, misread who was who. Anyway. Oh, but the funny thing is I kept hearing Clopin's laugh when Phoebus would make weird noises, so (laughs) I believed you. Until the next day, I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, and Meryl Streep is a Holocaust survivor, but she wasn't Jewish, but... Right, she's Polish. Oh yeah, Polish, and she was in a concentration camp. Briefly deals with some of her experiences as a part of that. But I was surprised at how brief those parts were. I gave it four stars, I think. I only gave it three stars, which, like, I understand what they're going for. I think it's an interesting take on the Holocaust of, like, looking at the survivor and focusing on, like, the story after, not just what happened during the Holocaust and looking at, like, survivor's guilt and just kind of, like, how messed up she was psychologically and how she kept returning to such a terrible relationship and like condemning herself to that in some ways. And also just like finding solace in someone else who's really broken, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, I should probably give it more than just three stars. I think I just was like, Sophie's choice is like such a proverbial statement that is used in cultural today that it, it like wasn't a big part of the film you know like it was kind of I think supposed to be a twist ending like this big shock discovery but it's so part of the cultural norm it wasn't quite the like emotional experience that I think it was originally if you went to the theaters and saw for the first time and it was like such a shock to the system yeah it's crazy because it happens in the last like 10 minutes yes and I had convinced myself it wasn't gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) I'd convinced myself because everyone had been telling me about the choice and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, where's the choice? And right. by the last 10 minutes, I was like, well, I guess they all lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, I fell into the twist, but it wasn't the same because I knew what was happening when it actually happened. But Right. So I gave it, I consciously gave it an extra half star. So I would have given it three and a half, but I gave it an extra half star for Meryl, Meryl Streep's performance. She was... I thought, by far the best yes um and we've seen her some of her other movies before and i've been like yeah Meryl streep's a good actress like i 
she's fine. I know she's won a lot of Oscars and stuff, but I kind of thought she was overrated. Mm. But watching this, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I've never seen someone so convincingly play. Like, she's she's not Polish, but I was convinced that she was. Mm-hmm. And also because I've watched, like, Black Widow and Hawkeye that has these American people playing Russian people with these Russian accents. And there's just something off about it. And when Meryl started talking, I was like, oh, this is what it sounds like when a good actress does an accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does a Russian or Polish accent. Like, she's just on a different level from everybody else. And I was just so impressed with her. And I did cry. Rachel said she didn't cry because she wasn't, or she knew it was going to happen. And you yeah, were also tired. I, I don't have a soul. <laughs> <laughs> you cried no. for the Iron Giant. And I That's didn't. That's true. <laughs> I cry for fake robots. <laughs> Same though. Uh, I feel like usually that's why I cry. I think um, I was expecting there to be more built up around the like. I don't want to give it away in case people want to watch it and haven't somehow have survived the cultural revealing of it. Yeah, and like maybe that's the point where it's like, oh, this is she's about suppressing her. it. Yeah, yeah, her life after, and you have to learn to love her before you like realize anything about her past. And if it hadn't been spoiled, or I didn't expect it to be this about the choice for the whole film, I don't know that I would have. I might have had like a very different reaction to it. So I'm a very yeah. spoiler averse person, though. Like I would rather <laughs> not know. <laughs> If I'm going to, like, really invest in something. The other thing I didn't love about this was how focused it was on the main character's sexual obsession with Sophie. I mean, it doesn't super... Just, like, reading reviews where it's, like, that's kind of the climax of the movie is him finally getting what he's been dreaming of this this whole time. A little uncomfortable that he's always kind of moving in on her and then it's like, oh, she... The age differences. Yeah. Yeah. Rough, too. The letterbox reviews were like, you can tell this was written by a man. (laughs) But I loved Meryl so much. Yeah, she did a phenomenal job. The director originally wanted Liv Ullman, that played one of the girls in Persona, to be Sophie. Oh. But I think Meryl Streep, like, begged him for the role. Mm. So he gave it to her. We are glad for it. Yes. Do you remember what you picked for the treat? Champagne. The next one was the international film, and I picked The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, a.k.a. Les Parapluies de Cherbourg. This is a musical in French about lovers who are separated by the war in Algiers. And this was Ryan Hatch recommended. It's a major influence on La La Land. I don't really care about the plot, a lot of people were deeply moved by the love story, and I just really wasn't. But, like, the visuals, holy cow, it is a visual feast. I don't use that lightly. Like, it's so fun. The colors and the cinematography, wow. Like, the costuming, just how everything comes together. It's, I feel like, especially the, well, really all of La La Land, the, the bright colors throughout it, but the, like, imagination sequence at the end is... I don't know, you can really see the influence in it from there. So while I didn't love it plot-wise, like, it was so fun to see, and I'm glad I've seen it. It I'd probably watch it again just for the visuals that are going on. I gave it four. 
Um, I gave it three and a half once again. <laughs> half a star less. I think our biggest uh, difference was Sophie's Choice. That was yeah. a star difference. Yeah, really cool cinematography, really cool shots. I loved the dolly shot when they're just kind of conveyor belting down the street. And then I loved, there's a shot where it's looking down the train flat platform as the train's going past. And the opening shot with looking down with the rain. Mm-hmm. And all the different colored umbrellas. Um, the only thing, like it's all sung, but not really in a lyrical or a musical way. Like they're just, it reminded me, Andrew in first grade, his class, someone came in and helped them write an opera. <laughs> and it's literally just them saying these words or singing a whole bunch of words. Like I will, I will sample a, a portion for you. The teachers are fighting with the astronauts. We can't find the principal. Like, it's just a whole bunch of nonsense. They're just singing, and there's no rhyme or reason to the notes or anything. And I wonder if maybe that's because it's in French, and so I missed some of the, like, lyrical art to that. I was I was getting a little bit sick of it by the end. I was like, can they stop singing now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it definitely rhymed, but it didn't have, like, quite... I think we're used to very Broadway-style musicals that have, mm-hmm. like, this song is this way, and then there's, like, motifs repeated in other songs that, like, reference this original I Want song, or, you know, like... Mm-hmm. And I also think what's nice in a lot of Broadways, it's, like, can be broken up, and so it's not just constant singing. It did feel a little bit more operatic, in that way of yeah um, just constant singing mm-hmm. um but yeah i would recommend it for people especially if you really like la la land i think it's fun to see this world that it came from i don't think my family would like it i would recommend it if you like film i think it's it's really a beautiful movie ryan hatch posted on his letterbox that he'd seen it in theaters so if it ever came back to theaters i would definitely want to go see it because i think it would be stunning to see on that huge of a screen so if it comes in theaters, you have to go with me. I guess I'll okay. <laughs> The treat was beans. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite part. When she found the bean and had to wear a crown. That was the other thing. Lauren and I were, were rooting for different suitors throughout the film. So that was also a source of contention. <laughs> oh, All right. Man. The next one was Western. As soon as Lauren picked horror, then I stole Western from her. So sometimes Cinemonth can be a bit petty. I picked The Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean. Um, this follows Roy Bean, his, I don't know, twisted pursuit of justice, and then just different vignettes of interactions he has with people. This is another one I was struggling to stay awake during. <laughs> um, but I think I saw the best parts, which were um, Anthony Perkins and then the albino man. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Bob. Crazy Bob. was Bad Bob. Bad Bob. That's what it is. He was maybe my favorite part. Yeah, I don't don't remember if Ryan Hatch recommended this to me or if I just knew that Anthony was in it. But, I mean, it also has Paul Newman. That was the surprise. Um, Or maybe before you knew it was Anthony Perkins. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew he was in it before we started watching it, but I don't know if I knew it when I picked it. It was really long, (laughs) 
And it's two hours, but it felt long. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and Paul Newman is really fun. I think it just like was a really different film. I don't know. It's really different. It felt like a big joke, but then there's like yeah. all these really serious parts mixed in too. Right. That it was like it felt like a big comedy, and then there are times when it was like well, exactly I think what you're that- saying. I wonder if that's also kind of a point is the juxtaposition of the two and satire on life itself that like you have these moments of both and how do you reconcile those? Yeah. Anyways, it feels like I'm giving it a lot more meaning than it actually has. Like I, I didn't actually when I was watching it, I wasn't like, wow, this movie is so meaningful. Right. Like, this is weird. It felt like a lot of vignettes put into tried to become one narrative and it didn't really super work for me. I didn't really like it that much, but I love enough of the actors, and there were some vignettes that were especially hilarious that I gave it three stars. Yeah, and I gave it three and a half. Um, I think just because it did get a few really good laughs out of me, so I gave it an extra, an extra bit. And I do love Paul Newman, although I don't know, he seems like a big fat jerk in this movie. <laughs> like he's not very nice to anybody. Yeah, and I kind of said it in the recap, like, this whole thing is about him being a judge and, like, meeting out, metering out justice, but it's, like, his own justice, which is not at all, like, that is by, (laughs) by the book or anything like that, so it's interesting. I did love, there's a bear in it, and his name is Bruno. (laughs) I mean, in the movies. The actual bear has his own IMDb website and his name's <laughs> Bruno the bear. In the movie, they just call him Bear, or he has another name, but Paul Newman doesn't call him that. Um, but I loved that bear, and it made me want a bear. <laughs> My other favorite part was he gets on a horse, and he somehow rides up the stairs and gets to the balcony, and he's yelling, For justice! <laughs> oh no for texas and for miss lily for some reason i just love that i was like yeah go paul you're moved by a man on a horse that goes up some stairs yeah i think it's because my brothers and i would play this weird arcade game on our computer where it's a western and you could ride horses and sometimes you could ride up onto the balconies and we thought that was so funny so i loved seeing it in real life last movie was in the category of drama and it's network this is also from our movie poster and it's also on a lot of big movie lists and like on the imdb movie list i think it's in the top 100 100 and best picture nominee lots of an afi top 100 like it's it's a pretty famous movie, but it's about a TV network from, I want to say the 60s. I don't know if that's true. Just kind of the lengths that they go to to increase revenue and um, keep keep on top of the ratings. And yeah, there's like two different sides where inside the network, they're kind of crossing all these lines and then outside the network, they're like judging them and stuff. Anyways. The best character is Howard, who loses his mind and becomes the prophet of of the network. Yes, and they're just the newscaster. Yeah, he has this mental breakdown, and they basically use him 
like his friend wants to take him to get psychiatric help but they're like no way everyone loves him they think he's hilarious they think he's awesome so we're gonna just give him his own news shows for the ratings and they don't actually care about him as a person they only care about the show so I gave it four stars I just like that closing shot like I felt really heavy like it really hit me I, in true cinnamon fashion, gave it three and a half, so. <laughs> this was another one I was very impressed with the acting. The only Oscars it won were for acting. The actor for Howard won Best Actor. And he was, it's kind of crazy because he died of heart failure before the actual Academy Awards. And he became the first person to posthumously win an Oscar, any Oscar. So I thought that was cool. And then the next one was Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. but. Peter Finch, he's the guy for Howard. He wasn't really in a lot of movies. And so it's really cool that he could get this award kind of as his last thing. I mean, he didn't even get it when he was alive, but kind of this legacy for him to leave. And he does a really good job. He's like really funny and really committed. My favorite part was he's running through the, or they're taking him to some government building and he's just yelling on and on about the doomsday and I have seen the light. And Rachel said, or she texted me and said, oh, because Robert Duvall is escorting him through the government building, trying to keep him calm and keep him quiet. And she said, this is me escorting you out of the Disney parks after you see John Smith. <laughs> that is super interesting. I had no idea about that him winning that award. I don't know if I had watched this without knowing that it was so famous or that I would like think of it as very, I would give it as many stars. I like didn't super enjoy it, but that could have been the mood I was in slash like the level of tiredness I was at at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was just like very depressing, but all the points that you bring up, I'm like, oh yeah, it, it was a really good movie. So um, but yeah, it also won Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. Uh, best screenplay and that's the other thing everyone was raving about in the thing the reviews I was reading was just the script and yeah the way it goes from scene to scene was very well done and oh Robert Duvall did we even bring that I mean you mentioned him but yes like I love William Holden and Robert Duvall of course Faye Dunley Faye Dunley that's right but yeah they weren't like the most likable characters was unfortunate. Right. I, I think I rated it so highly because again the comedy contrasted with this these accurate depictions of society and mm-hmm. this bleak interpretation of corporate goals in life. And, yeah and like exploitation for yeah. profit. Oh Jimmy Stewart was going to be Howard but oh. he turned it, no, he wasn't going to be it, but they offered it to him, and he turned it down because of strong language. Mm. What a wholesome man. Jimmy. I feel like it would maybe taint the film, too, just because, I don't know, he could maybe do a fine job in that role. But he I just, think like, it was good that Peter Finch wasn't and wasn't so well-known. and wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you ranked them? I'll just start from the bottom. Um, it went Scarface, Spellbound, Sophie's Choice, Mutiny on the Bounty, Life and Times of Judge Roy Bean, Network, I Knew It Was You, Iron Giant, Bringing Up Baby, Modern Times, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Persona, Planet of the Apes, Grand Budapest Hotel. Since that one was my number one film of 2021, of course that's going to be my number one movie 
of cinema. Yeah. I know, does the rewatch really count as a yeah. cinemonth? So and I'll just say that as a qualifier for my list. I loved Planet of the Apes, and Persona was so good. But yeah, so I'd say those are my top. Um, mine from bottom to top was Mutiny on the Bounty, Umbrellas of Chana Chana Chana, Persona, Jed Droid Bean, The Iron Giant, Planet of the Apes, Spellbound, Scarface, Network, I Knew It Was You, Sophie's Choice, Bringing Up Baby, Modern Times, and then Grand Budapest Hotel, of course. I feel like our lists were like opposite totally each other. Opposite. That's so funny. Because usually I feel like we're pretty similar for cinema as far as cinema goes, but mm-hmm. this year I we feel had... like a lot of them they were all kind of like closely together. Like there wasn't any that we were like <gasps> it'll be interesting to see where they fall all of twenty twenty two. And part of that is I think we were like we are watching them together at the same time, but we're not together together. So we're kind of picking we ones don't that want are to like choose the most meaningful ones. Exactly. Yeah. So, but all in all, a good cinema month. So. Yes, another successful cinema month. Um. Oh, and I forgot to mention the network treat was salad and rolls. All right, it is now time for us to do the first review of our film club. was Fantastic Mr. Fox. To begin with, I like it a lot more than I did the first time. But um, I still think... Mission accomplished. <laughs> I still think Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite Wes Anderson. It's just, it's so funny when I start it, I, it's, the animation or the puppets are just so off-putting. It takes me a while to get into it, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting more used to the style that I'm not quite so put off by it. And I'm also much more used to Wes's films. The bandit hats are so funny. I have decided I'm going to write an essay on a scene from each film that we pick. So I wrote about when Christofferson is in Ash's room and they like watch the train go around. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that is my favorite scene. I also loved the, what the cuss. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just like every time they use cuss is so funny. So classic. Also, when they're talking and he goes, um, and they, I mean, Mr. Fox and Kylie, is that his name? When he's rocking his chair, he says, it means stop rocking your chair. I was like, <laughs> that is me and you in the water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and I also loved Willem as a Western rat. Or yes. just like this gangster rat. Banjo loved that. I knew you would. <laughs> and the I also loved in the when they're fighting Willem and George Clooney lightning effects that go on so it's it is very clever and I I definitely I watched it a like one and a half times I would say but I think it's one that I would return to and it does I get why people like think of it as a comfort movie and stuff like that so converted did you have any I don't I don't let me guess your favorite songs you said there were two of them Mm, yes, just two favorite songs, not necessarily my favorite songs of the movie. Okay. Just, like, two favorite songs that I wanted to point out. Um, Davy Crockett? Yeah! <laughs> because guess why? Because they sing it in the country fairs. Oh my gosh. But also because it's just such a jam. It is. And then, do you like Bogus Bonson Bean? 
Yes, that was originally the one that I was thinking of, but when I watched it this time, I remembered that Love Oh from yes, Hood, from Robin Hood also plays a little part, and so I wanted to mention that one. So two favorite Disney songs. Yes, it's true. David Crockett and Love from Robin Hood. I'm trying to remember what Annie texted us. Beans, Borg, and Brew. <laughs> <laughs> like Beans and Brew? <laughs> or what's that coffee shop? Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how many of my family members had seen Fantastic Mr. Fox because it just wasn't on my radar. But I don't know if people had seen it before. It sounded like in the reviews that people had seen it before. Did you have any other thoughts you wanted to share from this this viewing this time around? I've talked about it a lot. It's many true. Times, like on our alphabet list, and I just think it's so cleverly done, and just have so many fond memories of watching it and dying of laughter with my family, and <laughs> love all the. Oh, my favorite part this time was Adrian Brody plays the field mouse. He has one line. Never when I watched it before have I loved him like I do now. And so when he came on I, and I heard his voice, I just screamed. <laughs> and he was the mouse. He is the cutest, sweetest, tiniest little mousey. And he's so nice. And I was so happy. Um, and then, yes, of course, love Willem Dafoe. Always forget that he's in it, but he does such a good job as the rat. He's so Yes, so he's so, so iconic. He is one of my favorite characters. Oh, and I just... I really fell in love with the soundtrack this time, went back and bought four songs from it. I love his scores. They're so good. Now, if there's nothing else, we'll read some of our listener reviews. So we got seven responses, which was very exciting, very fun. We had three votes for Christofferson as the favorite character and two votes for Kylie. Who would you say is your favorite character? The field mouse. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but I also love the rat. Yeah, I think I would have to go with the rat as well. Just he's so fun and like such a fun reference to West Side Story. A favorite scene. The majority or the, the one that has the most votes is the hot box game at school. As well as the waterfall scene. I love the wolf scene, but I think my favorite scene would be is the one I mentioned that takes place in Ash's room. I will never write an essay on <laughs> any movie. <laughs> this is I mean, the difference between us. <laughs> um, did you have a favorite scene? This time, this time I really loved when Mr. Fox is, again, I think it's in conjunction with that scene with, um, or it's right next to the scene with Ash and Christopherson, but when they, when Mr. Fox is on top of the tree looking out over, because I, I was watching that scene, he's like, who am I? What are mm-hmm. we? And like goes into this silly and deep speech about himself, but that's why I started thinking about buying soundtracks, because I was like, this song is so perfect for this moment, and it's just so beautiful. So I loved going back and watching this and being like and remembering those parts in the French Dispatch. Okay, let's read some listener reviews. Um, so I'll start. This comes in from George. He said, I had so many reactions. Gratitude to Lauren for the recommend. Confusion about why we didn't see it upon its theatrical release in 2009. Amazement at the creative style, characters, detail, and storytelling, and enjoyment at the experience, among others. 
goes on to say, it is funny, witty, disarming, uncomfortable, unexpected, and delightful. George Clooney was a perfect fox, self-absorbed and void of emotion. Example of the unexpected, the campfire song. So thank you for that. This was submitted from Catherine. She said, I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox for the first time this month. Yee, I am part of the film club. Which I'm taking a pause out of this um, and saying that we have official names for uh, participants. If you are participating in the film club, you are a capo regime or a capo for short. That is technically what um, Salieri and Clemenza are to the Godfather. So you guys are like just just under us in our regime here. <laughs> um, and if you complete our all 12... mafia family. Yes. If you complete all 12 films, you gain status as a Pesinovante, which is a very powerful person in Italian. So Oh, we're going to have so many Pesinovantes. <laughs> Okay, back to Catherine's review. Okay, she said, I had never seen this before and maybe read the book in elementary school, but I don't really remember it. She knew it was kind of quirky, so she said she went in with appropriate expectations overall. I enjoyed it. I think the humor is really what got me. It was kind of unexpected, and I was bursting out laughing at some points, like when Mr. Fox just destroys his breakfast in two seconds. I got used to the animation quickly, and I was impressed with how many human tendencies I could recognize in the animal's Except I didn't like it when they smiled. Which, an aside, I love it when they smile. <laughs> that The movie seemed pretty clever. I liked when they showed them breaking in on security cameras at the second farm instead of just redoing another standard chase. Kylie was my favorite character, hands down. His swirly eyes killed me, and I feel like I do that all too often. And then when Mr. Fox had swirly eyes at the end and does the signal of moving his hand, I thought it was so funny. She didn't like Mr. Fox at the beginning, but then the second half of the movie has more of a redemptive arc. She said, I was also spooked to hear Albus Dumbledore's voice coming out of the villain. (laughs) (laughs) So this was an interesting point that she brought up. Maybe my one complaint was the lack of strong female characters. Mrs. Fox was just holding her own and she was mainly in the background. That may just be how the original text is and maybe I'm just hyper-focused on that since I recently read a book about females in the media. So, and and it's an interesting take. Um, I feel like a lot of my favorite films, especially from like Pixar, follow that same thread where it's like amazing characters and they're all male one woman yes this is from deb i enjoyed it i now understand the sound that ryan hatch would sometimes make i love the theme of reconnection with his son and wife i was thrilled how he kept outwitting the farmers my favorite the bat cricket game they would play made me laugh right out loud is this where jk rowling got the idea for quidditch (laughs) i think uh If anything, Wes Anderson would have to get it from her because (laughs) Harry Potter came out in the 90s. (laughs) There's a little bit of a time difference there. (laughs) And then from Jill, my mom. I loved Fantastic Mr. Fox the first time I saw it, and I loved it even more this time. I should probably read the book and see if it's any good. My favorite things, hot box, bandit hats, Mr. Fox eating food, and the cussing. We paused the movie to read Mr. Fox's newspaper articles this time, and I didn't remember that the Robin Hood love song was in this movie, so that was fun. Five out of five stars. What did the newspaper say? Not really anything. Okay. Just, like, ramblings. But it's just (laughs) cute to read them. Yeah. That's fun that, like, if you wanted to pause and read it, you could. Yeah. All right, this is from Becky. Though it doesn't really follow the book and isn't necessarily a kid's movie, it is a charming Wes Anderson my favorite character is Cousin Christofferson. It has beautiful sets, like by the waterfall. 
funny moments. Our favorite reference is for when the foxes eat, and I love that as a landscape artist, she paints thunderstorms. An incredible cast, Meryl and George C., both so good, and great music. (gasps) Becky, we have been lauding the music this whole episode, so glad we agree. And this is from Kim. It's so great in a quirky way. I hope you warmed up to it, Rach. I did. (laughs) Um, The soundtrack is fun. Another shout out to soundtrack. And creates great atmosphere. George Clooney's deadpan voice is spot on for his character. Kylie the opossum and his swirly eyes make me laugh every time. Ash's earnestness pulls at my heart. Aside, foxes make excellent characters. Animated Robin Hood, Nick Wilde. Might this be an instance of the movie movie being better than the book? I rarely say that. May all the movie club selections be this good. Wow. Pressure. Pressure. I know. Wow. Well, that was very fun. I think it was a great film to kick off our film club. Um, Just quick reminders, if you watch it and want to send in your thoughts, we won't be reading them on the air, but you can put in your stats. I think we'll like make a big graph at the end of the year. Um, Also, if you are interested in getting the pin and or magnet, Sarah has sent us the um, design and I love it. It is really good. This is one that if you like Fantastic Mr. Fox, you'll definitely want to get. Um, so if you want to get that, make sure you email me so we can get that process going. I'm going to say by February 10th, I'm going to put in the orders, um, and I will email everybody specifically on how to pay for that. It'll probably just be Venmoing myself. So keep an eye out for that email, um, and communication concerning that moving forward. So... Without further ado, I will announce February's um, film. This one is a little bit trickier to get a hold of because I don't think it's available on any streaming. Um, So you'll either have to rent it from YouTube or rent it from your local library. Um, Or perhaps I do own it, but it's here in Florida. (laughs) So maybe (laughs) I'll watch it and then, Lauren, you can take it (laughs) if you need to lend it out to anybody. Oh, wow. Such trust. I know, I know. But this film is called Loving Vincent. It's one that I've wanted to show people for a long time and it just never happened. So here is me forcing everyone to watch it. Again, you will be wanting to pay attention for the connection. There is probably lots of connections to Fantastic Mr. Fox. But there's one specific one, so if you can get it, that will be fun. So keep an eye out for that. This is a film that is completely painted, where most animated films are hand-drawn or or done by different computer means, especially today. Every scene, every second, um, you know, 24 frames per second is painted, which is just amazing. And it's all done in the style of Vincent Van Gogh. So... Oil painting on canvas. Oil painting. There it is. Thank you. Um, the same technique as Vincent Mango. Yes. So it's just incredible when you're watching it. Think about all of the loving work and craftsmanship that goes into making this film. So very exciting. And I hope you guys enjoy that. And make sure to email us your thoughts. Other than that, we have a great guest episode lined up. A very playful episode <laughs> okay <laughs> what the <laughs> i was trying to think of some cool way to tease it without giving it completely <laughs> away but it was a very fun episode so stay tuned for that you took the words right out of my mouth pj 
I kept seeing Clooney and Strep. Meryl Streep, I think is what is. <laughs> okay, let me start over. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a, a good amount of Wes Anderson, Miss Hoity Toity. Okay. And the best part is when a child falls off and impales himself on the fence. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my you can cut that out. That movie really did have the weirdest things, especially <laughs> since I kept falling asleep and waking up. It was like, what? Um, oh, my oh. favorite text in it, you can take this out, that conducting in the windows when he was Oh my gosh, it. yes. <laughs> and then... When you said, this is us roping Andrew into things. <laughs> and they're like, come with us to Coney Island. And he's like, okay. And we're like dressed up. And he's like, uh. <laughs> And they're like singing and dancing. And he's sitting on the couch. What's the matter? <laughs> I hope you don't cut out the part where you say, let me pull up the Arthur spiel. <laughs> oh, we're going to have so many puzzles about this. <laughs>